0: He says, your way of worship here in the temple, your way of worship at the Feast of Tabernacles, it's all going to change because Yahweh has arrived, I Am has arrived, and I am the light of the world.
1: Hello and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sunday School Podcast. What is theology? The word theology can seem intimidating at first, but all it really means is the study of God. Join us as we continue our Sunday School series entitled, Intro to Theology.
0: Well, welcome back to our Sunday School lesson. Uh, We are continuing our series on Introduction to Theology. If you remember, theology is the study of God. And we've narrowed it down a little further as we continue in this series. Uh, We're going to Christology, study of Christ, who of course is God and we are looking at Jesus's I am statements as we survey the book of John. And today we are looking at the second of his I am statements. Today we're gonna focus on his statement, I am the light of the world. In the book of John, Jesus actually makes this statement two times. Uh, And so this is our, these are our two uh, study references as we're getting into this today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 8 verses 12 through 20 as well as all of John chapter 9. Uh, John, John chapter 8 uh, verses 12 through 20 and John chapter 9 the whole chapter. If you want to take some time and look at those references before we get into our lesson today I'd advise that you pause this cd or video and take, take just a little bit of time Read John 8, 12 to 20. Read all of John, John chapter 9. That way you know the stuff I'm talking about as we continue in this series. If you paused it, welcome back. If you did not, uh, we are, we are going to continue on now. Uh, and I want to start off with a, word of, with, with a word of prayer as we get into uh, Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all of your many blessings. We thank you for this opportunity once again to gather in Sunday school to study your word. We pray, Lord, now that you'll make the word alive to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to understand it closer to you. Lord, Lord, this is a series in theology. We're just trying to study you and get to know you and know you and know you more. Give us another glimpse of who you are and what you mean to our lives. We give you glory and honor and praise for these things through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. Jesus made the statement. I am the light of the world. I don't think any of us have to have a reminder of the difference between light and darkness. As an English teacher, uh, I teach literature, of course, a lot of times. And uh, in that teaching, uh, students look for things like light versus darkness uh, because they are really symbolic or metaphors of something else that's going to go on in the story. Uh, If you see a story that starts off with, it was midnight. Well, if those are the first words of the story, you know something's really, you know, something really bad is going to happen. It was midnight you know, story starts out like that, it's gonna be some sort of horror story. So you know, you know, someone's gonna die, someone's gonna get it. You know, every time you see a movie about the kids who wander into the woods or whatever, and you know, in the darkness, uh, you know exactly what's going on there. Somebody's gonna die or something evil's gonna happen. Darkness is that symbol of evil. However, whenever you have bright skies and sunny days. Uh, you don't anticipate evil things happening. That's when usually good things take place. It's the symbolism of light versus darkness. Uh, I'm reminded of a story uh, that I've told several times. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up primarily in West Virginia but also lived in, uh, lived in Michigan, lived in Chicago. And uh, in Michigan, uh, one summer, my brother and I, we were with our aunt uh, who lived in Lapeer, Michigan on Turrell Road. And on that road, she lived right across the street from an older cemetery. Cemetery was well kept. It had a, a paved road that ran through and so on. And during, during the daytime, of course, I was a kid at this time. You're talking 10, 11 years of age. I used to ride the bicycle all the time. There was a 10-speed there. I would ride through that cemetery, paved road, so on. Even sometimes just going down amongst the graves. I was just riding that bike. You know, just you know, it was just a way of getting out of the house, something to do. I enjoyed riding the bicycle. Uh, my doctor probably says I need to ride one now, uh, but uh, I, I, I really enjoyed riding riding a bicycle. However, one evening, about well, I guess morning, about one or so in the morning, my my two cousins, my Aunt Mary Ellen's kids, two two of my cousins and I, snuck out of the house and went over to the cemetery. I don't know why. Can I tell you that that cemetery I had been in a hundred times riding a bicycle? Do you know how creepy an old cemetery is at one o'clock in the morning? Especially when all the tombstones, they're the stand-up kind, and some of them pretty tall. There were some Catholic people buried there, so they had the real, real tall ones with the crosses on top and so on. Well, I was the youngest of the three, and my cousins took great pleasure that evening uh, in trying to scare me as I was in the cemetery. Uh, one of them put on a white sheet as if he were a ghost and came around one of the tombstones and grabbed me. And uh, needless to say, I screamed. Uh, and of course, they just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Uh, but there was something spooky about, the, about this uh, graveyard because I couldn't see them darkness hides them and it causes causes that fear to rise up inside of us. We see a similar situation in John John chapter three. Uh, We know the story of John chapter three when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, we get that famous verse, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son and so on. However, in John chapter three, verse number one, we find that Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night. And the reason why he came in the night is he really didn't want anybody to know he was there. He was trying to come to Jesus secretly. Uh, he was using darkness as the cloak so that people would not know he's there. Uh, so it is, so darkness is the symbol of evil, this symbol of secrecy, whereas light is this symbol of knowledge, it's a symbol of you know, enlightening everything, showing everything to everybody, and somehow dispelling the fear. Now we come to Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Now I wanna remind you for the theology part, we're going back to Exodus chapter three, when Jesus is saying, I am, as in I am the light of the world, and the rest of the I am statements, he is invoking the name of God, uh, the YHWH, Jesus said, uh, which is Yahweh. uh, When Jesus said, I am, It is, uh, he is using this Exodus 3 statement that God gave to Moses in which he says, I am that I am. So I am the light of the world, I am that I am. This is Jesus invoking the name of God. But he didn't just say, I am that I am. He said, I am the light. And that's an important part too because the Jews at the time thought that their Messiah who would come, would come not only as a brand new King David, basically, but they also thought that he would be one who would bring light. Whenever you, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament, you read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1... One through three, you find that these are references to the Messiah being a messenger of light. In fact, Jesus even quotes the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, in which the Bible says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned, it goes on to say. So, we're, you know, Jesus is this light. He is the Messiah of light. In fact, when Jesus was born, We have the story of Simeon welcoming the baby Jesus. And he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So even at Jesus' birth, he was announced as light. All right? And so now, as, you know, an adult, Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world because he is the Messiah and he is God. Now we come to... These two passages in the book of John uh, John chapter 8 verses 12 through 20 as well as John chapter 9 verses 1 through 41 now you may be asking the question why are we reading two different passages on this statement it's because Jesus says the same thing twice in John chapter 8 verse number 12 he says I'm the light of the world but then in John chapter 9 verse 5 He says the same thing, I am the light of the world. And a lot of people, you know, you just wanna put it together and say, I know what it means, I'm the light of the world. Not really. If we want to understand scripture, as I've taught in Sunday school many times, we have to keep the scriptures in their proper context. We have to keep them in their textual context. We also have to keep them in their historical context. Uh, We can't just rip something out of history that was appropriate for you know, someone 2,000 years ago and try to make it mean something for us you know, for us in the 21st century America when it you know, the history may be totally different. Uh, so we have to make sure that whatever we say from the Bible, we're keeping not only in textual context, we're keeping in the historical context and that's how we learn and that's how we make these scriptures apply to us personally and we can grow spiritually. Jesus made the statement two times, I'm the light of the world, but the circumstances behind both of those are very different. And so what he's saying the first time is a little bit different than what he's saying the second time. Same statement, but the context behind it uh, may be vastly different. Now some of you who are having an issue with that who say, wait a minute, it's the same words, how can it mean something different? Uh, if you're watching the video, Watch my body language for just a minute. If I use the words, I love you, just those simple words, I love you. Well, I love you uh, can be brotherly, sisterly love as I'm talking to you you with the Sunday school class. I love you. I'm doing this series because I love the people in our Sunday school class. If I say I love you to my wife, well, that's a romantic type of love. Uh, It's a different type of love. I love her, just just like I love other people, but I love her a special way because she's my wife. But what if, and just watch me on the video, what if I do this, watch my hands. I love you. I love you with all my heart. I really love you. Well, those of you who couldn't see me because you're on the CD, I was throwing my fist into my hand. And for those of you who saw me, you realize, That I was really saying I love you, but I was meaning the exact opposite. Well, what is it I was meaning? I'm getting ready to hurt somebody. Uh, In that statement, even though I was using the words I love you, what I really meant was I'm going to beat you up. An entirely different meaning because the context changed. You can have the same words from Jesus, but yet he's dealing with two different situations, and thus the meaning shifts in two different ways. So let's look at the first one, the John chapter 8 passage, and let's see uh, what is going on in this passage. If you read John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20, what you find out, Yes, uh, and, you, and, and you can even go back to John John chapter 7 verse 37 and go on forward to figure out even more and more, more if you need to. Jesus is teaching this statement on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was a seven day period that happened once a year a seven-day period. I'm not going to get into all of the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. But it is important that Jesus taught this on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Because if you do some research into the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish writings tell us that on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, at the temple, where now you have the Dome of the Rock, uh, at the temple, they would light this huge candelabra And according to the Jewish writers, it was so bright that it not only lit up the temple, but it was like a beacon in downtown Jerusalem at the time. That every street had had parts of the light going down it. Because it was such a bright candelabra, it was basically lighting Jerusalem. Uh, A huge, huge light and it had seven large candles on it for the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. Every day that went by, they would diminish part of that light. Till on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was no light in the candelabra. It's on this very last day that Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. When all of Jerusalem is now in darkness, when that that candelabra has gone dark, that's when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Now, you say, well, why would he pick that time to announce that he's the light of the world? This is another part of the biblical study. Remember, this is theology, and we're trying to study God, and, we're, you know, who is, who is Jesus talking to is an important part. we got to figure out who the speaker is, and who is he speaking to. Jesus is talking. But when Jesus, this first time, says, "I'm the light of the world," he's not talking to his disciples, and he's not talking to his followers. He's not talking to all of those what we would now call Christians following him. The uh, the candelabra's gone dark. Jesus is talking to his enemies. He's talking to the hostile Jewish leaders who are out to destroy him. Those who have closed their minds in a form of darkness. Who, who do not want to acknowledge who Jesus is. Uh, he, uh, you know, go back to John chapter 7 and read forward. It is very clear Jesus is not talking to his disciples. He's not talking to his followers. He's talking to his bitterest enemies. The, the, the Jewish priesthood at this time. Well, when Jesus announces, I am the light of the world, His enemies, this Jewish priesthood, they're automatically angry. Number one, he's invoked the name of Yahweh. He has compared himself by using a word that the Jews would not use even in their writings. Whenever it came to Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, they would choose other words like Adonai or whatever, Lord, whatever, just to avoid using the sacred name of God, I am that I am, Yahweh. Uh, So when Jesus uses it, and he not only uses it, but he uses it of himself, and then he says, you know, y'all had this light going on here for seven days, but I'm the real light, I'm the light of the world, invoking the name of Yahweh to himself, they reacted strongly. They were like, this is false testimony. You are extremely wrong. The Lord, uh, through the law and through the temple, those are the real lights of the world. The light to Jerusalem and the light to Israel is through the temple. It's through the law. Uh, It's through the priesthood. They're like, who are you? Who do you think you are thinking that you're better than the entire law of God, that you are better than the priesthood of God? And what they didn't understand, they're talking to the one who wrote the law. Jesus said said himself, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment of the law. In other words, a change is getting ready to happen. What they don't realize, Calvary's not that far away. And a change is getting ready to happen that's gonna utterly do away with the ritualistic law and we're gonna be saved by grace through faith, not of any works lest anyone should boast. It's a major change. And the Jewish leaders don't understand that their way of doing things, their way of following the law, their way of doing temple worship is going to drastically change now, uh, as I'm saying this many times, uh, because I'm wanting to apply this to our lives, Jesus is the big change. When we got saved, we were converted from being sinners to being saved. It doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It means that he saved us and he's forgiven us of our sins and we have a relationship with God that we didn't have previously because we're in this this saved relationship. There was a major change. But what I have discovered is that many times within the church, uh, we try to act like these religious leaders who are resistant to change. They act like change is something bad when the very nature of salvation is that change is good? Jesus brought about change from this Jewish religion to salvation by grace. He brought about change when he took my life, the life of a sinner, and he saved me and brought me brought me into a right relationship with the Lord. But then, once we get saved, we're like, okay, no more change, and we act, and we act like change is a bad thing when all change is not necessarily bad. I mean, some things we don't want to change too, but change can be a progress of good. Let me let me give an example within the modern church, if you will, suffer with me a little bit. There's a friend of mine who went to uh, he was applying to pastor a church. Deacons called him in and uh, started to question him before they would submit his name to the church body to see if you know if he was a good candidate to possibly pastor the church. And one of the deacons asked him and said, do you listen to and do you support us singing that 7-Eleven music? What they meant by the 7-Eleven music was praise forces. And he said, well, I listen to contemporary music and, you know, if we sing a song or two, that's fine too. They would not submit his name to the church body. They said he was not qualified to be the pastor of the church because he's one of those newfangled preachers who didn't have a problem uh, with all that crazy music that's going on today. And he wants to change the church to rock and roll and all that type of stuff. That wasn't what he said. What that... Poor deacon body didn't realize all the songs in the hymnal that we love so dearly that we consider the the faithful songs of the church. Do you know that there was a time when those were brand new songs? When those were the contemporary songs of the day? I can just imagine a church a long time ago singing their rock of ages cleft for me and somebody walked in with I'll fly away, of glory. And I can just imagine a church saying, no, nah, we can't sing that. That song's way too fast. That's too contemporary. Oh no, we're gonna stay with our rock of ages clap for me. We can't have I'll fly away because it's too fast of a song. It's the same mentality. So resistant to change. But they won't even consider anything else. Now, I'm not down in the hymns. Uh, I love the hymns. Uh, I play the hymns. Those of you who know me, I play them all the time. I lead singing and so on. I love the hymns. Uh, I grew up with them. Uh, but when Brother Rory gets up and he's singing a praise course, I'm singing with him too if I know it. If I don't know it, I'm learning one. And haven't you noticed, those of you who've been in service with us, the some of the songs he leads us in that I don't know yet, that I'm still learning, uh, have you looked at the words? That's the important part. I'm looking at the words and I'm going, hey, that's that's good gospel right there. That'll preach. And if it touches somebody's life where somebody wants to come and come, come either closer to the Lord or get to know the Lord, amen. And by the way, I need some new songs. Hallelujah, the Bible even says, sing to the Lord a new song. So what's wrong with singing a new song? Uh, <laughs> it's this idea of being, of, of being resistant to change. My mother, before she died, there was one song that she hated, a hymn that she hated. And it wasn't because it was a bad hymn. Uh, she couldn't stand the song, The Old Rugged Cross. Couldn't stand it. Not because it's a bad song. She said, growing up, they sang that song every Sunday of her life. She absolutely was like, I don't want to hear it anymore. I've heard it all these years. Please don't sing it anymore. I've I've heard it every Sunday of my life. Well, of course, we don't sing that song every Sunday, but apparently her, her church sang the song every Sunday. So because I played the piano, I would always joke around with her. Her favorite song was He Touched Me. So I'd sit down and I'd play He Touched Me, and then I'd do a roll down into the old rugged cross, and she'd say, stop it. Stop it. Don't just don't play that. And I would do it just to tease her and mess with her and so on. It was kind of funny that at my mother's funeral, my brother came up to me because he knew I was going to lead us in. He touched me as part of the funeral. And he said to me, he said, Richard, don't do it. And I said, what? He said, don't transition to the old rugged cross. Mom's not here. Mom's not here to defend yourself and you just don't do it. Well, that kind of got me thinking because I had thought about doing it, but I got to the end of he touched me, and I did that roll down, hit the first note of the old brother cross, and that's where I stopped. My brother just glaring me down like you had better, and it was it was hilarious. And so, and so after the service, he said, "You really had to do that, didn't you?" I go, "Yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> just enough to tick him off a little bit, make him think, think, think during 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 the time." What was it my mother craved? My mother craved change. It wasn't that the old rugged cross was a bad song. She probably would have loved the song if she hadn't heard it every Sunday of her life. Uh, It was that she wanted something different. She She wanted a change to take place. When Jesus first says, I am the light of the world, he's basically saying it as an announcement of change. He says, your way of worship here in the temple Your way of worship with the Feast of Tabernacles, it's all going to change because Yahweh has arrived, I am has arrived, and I am the light of the world. And so your little candelabra here is nothing. It lights up a little bit of Jerusalem, but I'm the light of the world. The whole world sees this light. And comes, and by the way, the whole system of you know the whole system of worship and religion will change, he says, because it's no longer the following of your rituals and laws that that, that is really important. It's going to be saving by grace through faith. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the big change. So his first time of saying, "I am the light of the world," is this announcement of change. However, then we go to uh, chapter nine, verse number five. And Jesus the second time says, I am the light of the world. However, when he says it this time, it's an entirely different context. An entirely different context. Here we're talking about the healing of a man who was born blind, all right? Uh, This is the narrative of blindness and sight. And it's not just restoring sight. This is a man who was born blind. So we are talking about a disability that only God has the ability to restore, even now in the 21st century. If someone is blinded by something, sometimes doctors can fix that. But when you're born blind, that means you have to deal with a supernatural miracle. Because it involves creating somehow some new tissue. It involves creating new nerves and new blood vessels, giving the brain the ability to interpret the variations of light. Uh, This is something it takes God to do. And God took this man, Jesus took this man, who was born blind, and gave him sight. Alright? So the climax of this story is when Jesus calls on the man who's been healed to believe in him. Jesus says to him, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. You find that in chapter 9, verse number 39. So that those who do not see May see. The healed man shows this physical and spiritual healing with two words. He says, I believe. Ladies and gentlemen, in this second context, Jesus is saying, just like I healed a man who was born blind, that's the way salvation works. I'm trying to enlighten you. I'm trying to open your dark mind to understand the light that's coming in. I'm gonna tell you, I was saved at 10 years of age at an altar in Chatteroy, West Virginia. And the the moment I got up, it was on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, depending on which side of midnight, uh, 1977. When I got up from the altar, God didn't give me all spiritual knowledge and so on. I was a 10 year old kid. And Lord knows the teenage years were as bad upon me as they were on most teenagers. Did I sin? Yes. Did I do things wrong? Sure. But God had his protective hand with me because I I was saved. And Jesus was there helping me and leading me and guiding me through the power of his spirit. As time has gone on, uh, now, now that I'm 52 years old, so I've been saved for 42 years, God has allowed growth to take place in my life. Uh, Growth and you know the Bible says Jesus matured in new in 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 nurture and understanding Well, I have continued to increase in nurture and understanding God has shown me life there have been many times. I picked up my Bible and I've read scriptures And I'll see things I hadn't seen before Sometimes brother Larry will preach I hear brother Rory preaching or something and they'll they'll say something And I'll what on scriptures I've read a hundred times. I didn't see those things, and all of a sudden they'll say it, and I'll go, oh, okay. Uh, that's why when I go home and I'm, I'm listening to a CD or I'm watching one of the videos and so on, I'm listening intently because it's not that, uh, and in fact it doesn't, it doesn't have to be those two, when I'm listening to other preachers as well. I'm trying to get a little bit more spiritual wisdom. I'm wanting somebody to turn the light on in my head to see something I hadn't seen before. Uh, as a school teacher, when I'm teaching about literature, or whatever, it's always a, you know, it is always a wonderful feeling. When I say something or do something, and I look at a kid, and all of a sudden the light turns on. You can see it in their eyes. At first, at first it's kind of you know, dark, and then boom, the light turns on. It actually happened to me when I was in high school. When I was 11th grader, I had an English teacher whose name was Miss Glover, wonderful lady. But Miss Glover and I did not get along the first first few weeks. See, I was an A student and uh, worked hard to be an A student. I wrote my first essay in junior English for Miss Glover. She gave it back to me and she gave me an F. I had an F on an F. I don't take Fs, I don't take Bs. I absolutely do not take Cs, but an F was unheard of. And she gave me an F on an essay. Well, that didn't go very well. So we had our second writing assignment. It wasn't a full essay. I had my second writing assignment. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do my absolute best on this. And I worked hard on that assignment. Turned it in and got it back. F. Understand I'm an A student. I don't take Fs at all. Well, uh, I didn't respond very well. I went to Miss Glover on her planning period. I said, Miss Glover, I need some help. I don't know what it is that you want in these assignments, but I've had two F's and I can't can't take F's. I don't even take B's, much less F's. So we gotta talk about this. The more she talked, anger blinded my mind. Where I already didn't understand it. Now I'm getting angry and I'm getting frustrated. Well, I kinda lost it. I cussed her out. I called her everything I could think of, I yelled at her, I screamed at her, I cussed, I cussed badly, it was horrible. I went down to the office, Uh, she took me down to the office, assistant principal's there, I cussed him too. I'm like, send me home. And I I called him a few choice names and so on. He said, oh, I'm sending you home. I said, good, because I don't want to be here anyway. And so they sent me home for a few days. My mother came to pick me up, my mom said, Why would you call this man that? I said, that's not a lie if he is that. And I called him that I told the truth. And, of course, that just made her even madder at me. I went home, and I got the lecture from my mother and all this type of stuff. Went home for about three days, four or three days. And uh, in that particular county, they had to give you your makeup work. Well, I'm I'm an A student. You know, go ahead and give me a three-day vacation. I'll just do the makeup work and get my A's that way, Uh, except for Glover's room. And so anyway, I got back to class and I was mad. I had my arms folded sitting at my desk. Like, okay, I'm gonna take my first F. Go ahead and just give me an F. I don't care anyway. Go ahead and just talk to me. All of a sudden, this woman, I don't don't remember the exact statement, but she said something. And when she said something, it clicked in my mind what that woman wanted. The light turned on. I didn't get it before. Well, I wrote my next paper. Got an A minus on it. I went from F to A minus with that one little thing that that woman wanted. It went boom, and I, you know I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about what all it was. I I got it, but it, it turned on in my mind because I didn't get it before. Well, I got it. Then I got an A minus on the paper. I went back to her on her planning period again, which happened to be gym period for me. She was kind of apprehensive because she was an older lady at that time. Someone still, and she, and by the way, she's still alive. Uh, she was an older lady. Even then she was not far, not far from retirement. And you could tell whenever I walked into the room, she's kind of apprehensive about me being there. I went in there. I got down on one knee and I apologized to her, told her, I'm sorry. That's not the way I act. You know, the Lord, the Lord's even saved me and I should not have acted that way. I should not have used the language I used. I should not have had that anger toward her. She and I became good, good friends. Uh, it's an irony that when I graduated college and went back to that county to teach, she had retired and she was a member of the Board of Education. The assistant principal I cussed out uh, had also retired. He was president of the Board of Education. And the Board of Education had to hire, had to vote to hire employees. And so I talked to both of them before they'd hire me, and they voted me in <laughs> to be a teacher there uh, after I'd cussed both of them out. But they knew that that wasn't my norm. Uh, They knew that I didn't conduct myself that way. Uh, That it was, you know, some sort of abnormal situation for me. And they forgave me for something I did very wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem with me was I wasn't, you know, something was changing. She was trying to teach me something new. And my brain had closed down where I didn't get it. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that... (laughs) The whole revelation of who he is is a change and we have to open our minds to receive that change. We can't be rejecting the change, all right? So uh, he's, he, he said he would perform a miracle. He would change the nerve system and so on of the eye to make light happen. He does that when we're saved. Salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. He said, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new that's what salvation is all about that all things have totally become new Jesus is the light of the world darkness can certainly make us uncertain and fearful walking in the dark uh, means that we have lost our way that we haven't you know we haven't figured things out and so on but Jesus wants us to understand he says I'm the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of of life i like that last phrase and i'm getting ready ready to finish it up i like that last phrase that he is the light of life my life for 42 years has been enlightened by the presence of jesus christ i continue to grow and lord knows i have a long way to go Uh, my my spiritual growth is nowhere near complete I have a long way to go, a lot more to study, a lot more to, you know, to meditate upon, a lot more word to try to understand. As Paul said, you know, this is theology, we are looking through the glass darkly, but there's going to come a time we're going to see him face to face. But right now, I'm still peering through that glass darkly, trying, trying to figure things out. And a lot of stuff I can't figure out. It takes the Spirit of God supernaturally to help me understand certain things. There are questions about Christianity today I don't understand. We talked a few weeks ago about about the Trinity. I don't understand the Trinity. I don't get how it works, but I accept it by faith. Uh, And at some point, I'm going to understand it face-to-face, but just not today. There are a lot of other questions. You know, I went to seminary simply trying to answer certain questions. Some questions I got answered. Other questions developed I still haven't answered. Uh, I'm still in this growing process as I know you are as well. But Jesus is the light of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. You'll never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. As long as my life is totally consecrated and dedicated to him, he's the light of my life. He's the one that shows me the path that I ought to follow. I hope you've been blessed today with our Sunday school lesson. I hope you have learned. We will continue with the I Am Statements of the book of John uh, next week. Uh, I am looking forward to the time whenever we don't have to do this as a recording, but we're able to meet together again in Sunday school face-to-face and we're able to talk about these things of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it's been a good study today. You are the light of our life. You are the light of the world. I pray right now, Lord, that something that I've said here today has been a blessing to someone. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to get closer and closer to you. Lord, I, I, I just ask now, ask now for everyone listening to have a blessed week, that you'll bless them and bless their families. I pray this through the agency power name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed, were enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from our adult Sunday school class. Each week, these Sunday school lessons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday school videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to the channel and be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. For audio, you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. You can also find these audio recordings on our website free to download Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.